Hello, welcome to what's now going to be called Tech Lively, after it was Get Lively for a number of years. Uh, this is the Technique at Georgia Tech's podcast. My name is Jack Purdy, the assistant sports editor. Um, and today I have Rick Clark, who if you went to Georgia Tech in the last few years, he was the man that let you in the door because he is the undergraduate admissions director. Uh, do you want to tell us some about yourself before we dive in? Absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me and looking forward to the conversation. Uh, again, Rick Clark, director of undergrad admission here at Georgia Tech and actually have been here now uh, for next week. It'll be 18 years at Georgia Tech. Uh, so it's been a ride for sure. And it's been interesting because at least the work that I get the chance to do here has just changed constantly. Um, it's nothing like it was when we first started out. And uh, I think under President Cabrera, especially, we have some really ambitious and exciting initiatives. So looking forward to talking about all that today. Nice. I actually didn't know you were here for 18 years. And we go we go back. I've known Rick since I was about four, I think. <laughs> Maybe right. five. I, I just know I was at your house at some point. When I was very little, and it was your birthday, and there was a North Carolina cake on the table. There you go. And, but yeah, he also, by the way, he's a UNC grad, so our game in a couple weeks will not be uh, – yeah, an easy, an easy pick for you. Well, always, is it an easy pick for you when those games happen? You know, um, going back in some Georgia Tech way back machine, when Paul Hewitt was here, he would always tell me, if, if I give you tickets, you have to wear, you know, gold. <laughs> and uh, so since he's left, I've just modified that. I, I usually wear gray. <laughs> that, that's close enough. Yeah. That's close enough. All right. Uh, well, cool. Have you had this? You haven't had this particular role at Tech your whole time, though. No, no, you, okay. no. Just progressively. So, but actually... As of, again, kind of late this year, I'll be at uh, 13 years. 13 years at uh, the, director. the director? Okay. So I was less than 10 when that when you started that. Man, <laughs> I'm, I feel old, but I'm not. Um, but, yeah, so about that, what about this? This So this year we had – this is the first new batch of freshmen we've led in the – really actually literally led indoors mm-hmm. on campus in a, a year and a half. So what, what about this batch excites you that's different from even last year's batch to yeah. I'm a fifth year right now to just why should, why should I care about this year's batch right. as someone who's about to be hopefully walking the stage in a, couple, in, in a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at this year's um, first-year group, I mean, one of the biggest things that's going to jump out literally is that, their size. Uh, by far our largest first-year class ever. Um, we're right at 3470, um, and that, you know, the goal was 3450. So I always say that, um, you know, bringing in a class is kind of like landing a plane on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean. Like, you don't want to short it because that's money lost, and yes. you don't want to go too long because then the lines at Chick-fil-A are too long. That, so That's important. Landing it right there, and, and so 3470, um, you know, interestingly, uh, we use predictive models. Uh, a lot of Georgia Tech kids can, you know, appreciate this. Yes. To do that, and um, a lot of a lot of colleges outsource that. They'll pay a quarter million dollars to, really? you know, come up with a good predictive model for bringing in their class. Are all there ACC the schools too? Sure. Okay. Yeah, all the different kind of subgroups, right? Not just the macro number, but the demographics within it. So, hat tip to Georgia Tech grads. We have two on staff that come up with our predictive model, oh, and wow. uh, within twenty is as good as it gets. So that's one thing. It's just size. I mean, that's uh, 400 more than the class that came in two years ago, uh, which is in percentage significant uh, without a doubt. So biggest class ever and by far the most diverse class ever, too, pretty much by every definition, geographically, um, ethnically, gender wise. Um, and one thing that's big is this class pushes our female enrollment for the first time ever at Georgia Tech. Oh, wow. Over 40 percent. I was about to ask that, like how 
at least since what you've noticed, how much better are we at literally raising the ratio? Because we sing it all the time at football games. I seem to notice it. Last night I was at an info session, which was every it was GE. All of the presenters were women. The audience was about ninety five five. Okay, guys to girls. Is that right? Granted, it was it was way more engineering focused, and I go to Scheller, which is it feels mostly female now at this yeah. point. But hey, what, how how are how would you grade us doing that? Yeah, so I mean, again, thinking to when I got here, I mean, we were at twenty eight percent female in the undergrad population. So um, you know, now we're at forty percent uh, overall for undergrads. The first year class is forty two percent women. Um, and that's definitely something that, you know, we're under a lot of pressure to continue to grow, not just because students may want to see that ratio change, but, you know, because employers are coming here for diverse talent, right? And well, all students, no matter who you are, no matter what your major is, want employers to be coming and offering opportunities. Right. And so one of the reasons Georgia Tech, even in the pandemic, continued to get the kind of attention. And actually, even if you look back at the Great Recession, most colleges had fewer recruiters coming. And we actually had more recruiters coming, even when things were economically difficult, because we're helping them fulfill their missions, right? Oh, uh, true. So, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because a company that's being asked for less diversity probably isn't trending in the right direction. No. So knowing your talent pool is becoming what you need your own company to be later on yeah. makes a lot of sense. Every one of their strategic plans and mission statements has to do with diverse talent, right? And right. Georgia Tech's a source for that. Yeah. And our, we switched, what, when did we switch to the Common App? Was that... Uh, 2015. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I know when I applied it, had just like it, we had just switched, and that was mm -hmm. the year the SAT had changed as well. So I just didn't even take the, the SAT that year too. Yep. Because um, I was thinking, I it may not be what I need. Also, the ACT is math heavy, which just you would just think makes more sense tech wise. Yeah. Knowing I was gonna have to still do some sciencey mathy stuff, even though I had no ambitions to go that way. Um, I know we've talked about testing too, because mm -hmm. in in the past and how that we how that how we're trying to just phase that out not necessarily phase it out but make it a different weight yeah um i had a friend who their kid just got to uga and he took a bunch of ap's and two of his exams are just straight up lost like mm. and he, that mm. and that change that affects his um what his class schedule is gonna look like in the spring and next yeah. fall because he just he doesn't literally has no idea if he got the college credit so it, based i mean on that story and other reasons like why are we trying to change that focus from testing to what right. we do which is more holistic yeah exactly i mean well you know people will appreciate here at georgia tech that we're just following what the data tells us so every year what we do is we look at the class we bring in and then we run it through our you know institutional research group and they basically help us understand like what is and is not or what is to what degree predictive versus not and what we've had over the course of time is a declining correlation between test scores and performance, but an escalating increase uh, with course choice and what you've taken in high school and course performance. The other thing is, I mean, you know, if you look at the SAT math, as you well know, um, it, it barely touches pre-calc. Uh, whereas we have, you know, it's mainly ge geometry and algebra, right? Whereas what we see is most of our students, I mean, 97% of our students come in with calculus or higher, right? So they're actually going backwards to take the test. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you're trying to get the tech, you'd want to blow it up if you can. So that makes, I did actually technically do that. I was taking international baccalaureate standard level calc. Yep. And at the same time, at a free period, and I was just like, I'll just sit in the AP class with the same teacher, and just maybe I'll at attain more. 
Yeah. It did not work for me. I went bowling half the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right, is you've got kids taking on-level calculus, A, B, B, C, but then we're seeing plenty of students with linear algebra, with combinatorics, right? They're taking classes in high school. That's a word? I know. I'm (laughs) telling you. About this year's group, the the fact that we had two, I mean, I would assume it's no, but the fact we had effectively two new sets of people Mm. on campus for the first time affect anything about how we went about uh, admitting people this year. I mean, obviously mm. the number's still big, but did that change the thinking or affect what yeah. y'all were doing in those rooms where you're deciding who's coming? That's a good question. So, and you're right in that a lot of schools had that type of calculus going on because they're thinking about who said, during the pandemic, there was definitely a trend towards deferring a year or taking a gap yeah, year. Yeah. And so for some schools, especially you know highly residential schools, it was, okay, this is our in. And we're going to already have some of those seats taken. And so we actually have a lower supply. For Georgia Tech, since we are in growth mode, um, it was actually just sort of X plus whatever deferred. So our target was, you know, again, you know, about 170 larger than just last year's class alone. Um, And so basically we factored in about 57 uh, deferrals from the year prior into that growth. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And if we're growing, and we brought this up earlier before we recorded, where are we going to put the people? Because I mean, <laughs> we—I mean, when yeah. I got here, it seemed like all the dorms were full. I know in Hefner it was full mm-hmm. where I lived. Right as they put West Village up, and I don't think anyone really wants to live in Smith anymore because of the the honeycomb showers and whatnot. <laughs> but I mean, cause, yeah. I mean, we're we're building the new student center. It, mm-hmm. it it we've had parking lots under construction. Water mains are keep keep breaking on Hemphill every month. It seems, but I mean, yeah, yeah where are we going to put everybody? So it's a valid question, both from a housing standpoint and also from a class capacity standpoint. I mean, growth is going to necessitate some shifts Um, in the future and and in the relatively near future. There most likely will need to be another residential hall constructed. Mm -hmm. Um, What we're planning for right now is to grow this first year class up to about 4000. Okay. And again, as I said, we're at 3470 this year, but we were at 3082 years ago. So that's a quick growth yeah. of almost a thousand students. Um, most likely, and this is going to be a decision that's going to need to be made by housing, our executive leadership team, uh, yeah, et cetera, is, um, you know, it'll probably change how we allocate beds um, for the entire undergrad population, right? If we're going to prioritize first year students and possibly transfer students, mm-hmm. then that's going to have implications for returning students. That makes sense. And those are decisions still to be made. Okay. So my hypothesis would then be those upperclassmen West side, like Z bar and places like that. You never know. Just yeah. Cause that's where we do have the capacity right now. Exactly. That's at least accessible to everybody else with the parking deck too. Yeah. And of course the goal for first years is always to keep them in, you know, the best possible kind of community living situation where they can build those relationships mm-hmm. and then work with the returning students on, you know, other alternatives. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, on, on that with the growth, like what, but what are we, what are you directly trying to cultivate like through this office yeah. that you can, that when you look out the window, he's like, okay, I'm seeing what I'm seeing what I touched mm. out there actually like coming to be and yeah. working its way through the day-to-day life of tech. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one of the biggest things there is yes, we're in growth mode. So we want to see more students coming to Georgia tech and having an opportunity for this, you know, degree. I mean, again, I've kind of said for a while, like, you have an intersection of ROI and STEM at Georgia Tech like nowhere else in the country. Yeah. 
more and the demand is there. I mean, and you and I have talked about this in the past, but you know, going back five years, we had 30,000 students apply. This year we had 45,000 students apply. That means we denied more kids this year than we had applicants five years ago. My goodness. Right? Um, and back to the, how quickly test scores will fail you. The average SAT of the denied group, which was at about 35,000 this year, was a 1415. So, you know, I would not have scored that. You're but. not. I mean, you know, like you're you can only use the numbers so much because right. the, the kids that want to come here are super talented and we want to create more space for them. Right. Um, but we also know that back to this idea of why does Georgia Tech exist and why were we even created to begin with? Right. Mm -hmm. What's our mission? You know, it is to uh, ultimately produce students who are about what's coming and what's next, you know, envisioning a better kind of future. Right. And the truth is we need more diverse talent at the table for product design, policy creation, mm -hmm. et cetera. So when I look out the window to your point, you know, what we need to see is more kids from more backgrounds, making this culture and the community and the conversations here far more enriched maybe than they, they currently are. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered this. If what, what do you think would happen if when looking at files, you erase the name, you erased all the background, ethnicity, origin, all that, and just mm -hmm. look at the material of what the person did and then made the decisions that way and then pulled the curtain off and saw what your stats were. What, what, do you have any idea what you'd think you would, what we'd end up with? I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting question because redacting, let's say, gender or ethnicity or name would be one thing. But the biggest part of our review starts with where do you go to high school? And that's True. what I would not want to lose. Okay. And there have been conversations around that. But the, the truth is that to make a good admission decision, it's critical to know the context where a student's studying. Mm -hmm. What did they even have access to? Because sure. if you took that away, then I do think that we would have a far less diverse population, and especially we would have a far more metro Atlanta population. Opportunity bias, exactly. basically. Okay. That's right. I mean, and so, you know, but we're, look, we're a public institution. We're here to serve the state. We're better off if we can draw talent from across the state. Right. And there are many places where things like, as I said earlier, linear algebra or combinatorics are, are not offered, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yet those students can come here and do just fine. So I, I would guess that if you redacted gender, ethnicity, name, things wouldn't be too terribly different. But when you start redacting, opportunity mm -hmm. then you start to really that makes alter. sense yeah. okay yeah my hope was that that it, my naive self when i first thought of this would be like oh that that sounds that makes total sense you get rid of all the stuff that could bring out biases and whatnot yeah. but i guess that there's just another one sitting right there that you can't really avoid but what yeah that's right and and there is a big conversation especially in places like california around re redacting a lot of like kind of critical information yeah. but anybody who's done this work for any length of time and enrollment knows what you don't want to ever take away is is the op is what did a student have access and opportunity to that's critical to making a good decision mm -hmm. yeah innovate okay, i'm coming up with this on the spot innovation wise what i guess a if if someone on t at tech were to be like okay like i've got a sibling coming up here that i want to bring in i know the transfer pathway exists mm -hmm. for the conditional pathway which if you don't know give me if i get tell me if i get this wrong but if you have a relative basically who yeah. has been to or is at tech after a year of attending another is it any institution or a georgia institution no it's any any institution in any institution you can transfer in yeah. assuming you've met the basic requirements which i believe are 3.0 when i 3.3 okay 3.3 yeah. and you're good so in the case that someone wants to get in, like what, what, what could, what could the student body, why should the student, why should the student body care about this office once they're in? Mm -hmm. But then 
is there is there ways we can make your job easier? Because yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you guys are gonna if we got forty five thousand applicants, I don't want to know how many emails we're getting also <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think so. One of the things I really am most proud of uh, for Georgia Tech is that we are deeply committed to offering students an opportunity to come here, not just through the traditional pathway. Mm -hmm. And that's really important for some of our, uh, you know, outreach to rural opportunities, to students who may not have socioeconomic background, um, may not have had a great high school experience, but kind of the light comes on late in the game. Having transfer students at Georgia Tech is, is pretty critical. And you're right. So the conditional pathway basically says if a student uh, has a sibling, parent, grandparent, or their uh, parent is a current Georgia Tech employee, okay. then if they go elsewhere for a year, they can come in with a 3-3 or higher in certain classes and matriculate that way. But what's cool about Georgia Tech in the last couple of years is that we've built a number of other pathways. Um, for instance, we have one for veterans, right? If you're active yeah. military over the last couple of years, we have one for students who um, are first generation you know, students. And actually, one thing that's pretty cool and why I think students should care is the whole, in my opinion, and, and you know, historically looking at higher education, like why does it exist? I mean, a big part of that is for social mobility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have 80% more first-generation students in this year's class than we did five years ago, meaning that kids that are coming here who have zero background of higher ed in their family are getting an opportunity to come, earn a Georgia Tech degree. That's going to change family trees. That, that, that just levels the playing field just just in America even. Yep. And, I, and I'm guessing a lot of other schools, ACC and whatnot, are trying to do that same thing as well. Yeah. No, it's huge. And, you know, one quick thing, and then to your question, you know, last May, so May 2021, 27% uh, of the kids who graduated from tech did not start here. And I think that that is really telling of our commitment to transfer students. Mm -hmm. And it's really important, right, because we should be all about opportunity. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of schools around the country that would be put in the same category as tech as, quote, prestigious or elite, yeah. who basically enrolled none after that first year it's mm -hmm. it's this or nothing right and we have a a different door to go off the same stage is what we often talk about right nice. different door same stage but to your question about what can students do at the end of the day you know they only care about us so much right, right. yeah as you pointed out i'm not even a georgia tech alum yeah <laughs> uh you know <laughs> i'm not a georgia tech alum i'm an old guy you know they students parents like they want to hear from our from our students right mm -hmm. and so what i would love if people that are hearing this are saying like how can i invest in building like the next generation of yellow jackets it's to get in touch with our office and offer to let us profile you, do a student takeover on social media, um, think about ways that we might use you in programs, right, mm -hmm. to highlight these stories. I mean, that's our best resource, you know, are our students. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no, the uh, info session I was at last night was for, for Georgia Tech old. They're a mixture of IEs and MEs, and they had lived everywhere from Texas to Michigan as soon as they got out, mm -hmm. too. So it's we're all over the place, yeah. especially once we leave. Um, okay, I'll shift gears because I so having this particular job, you're much more higher up in the rung, just in, just in that different set of meetings compared to the rest of us where we're just trying to figure out okay where are we trying to eat for dinner tonight. But mm -hmm. you're in the okay you're you're mixing it with the president, you're mixing it with the other deans and whatnot. Being in those meetings, are you just in in general? I mean, you don't share any details, but like, are you? In, I th I think the answer is yes. But what encourages you mm -hmm. that from what you're seeing from the top 
rungs of our yeah. leadership and our presidency that you are seeing a, a they just proud of, but that should make us hopeful going forward, especially with this new 10 year plan thing. that Yeah, yeah, had. yeah, absolutely. I guess one of the biggest things is, I mean, especially right now in our country, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk, uh, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are you actually living that out? Mm -hmm. And is this going to be sustained? And is this going to end up making a difference? And the truth is, I mean, we have the data to back up that we actually have been investing deeply in diversifying talent at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. But there is just no doubt, if you listen to President Cabrera, uh, Steve McLaughlin, who's our provost, I mean, just looking at the fact that out of our six deans, three are black. Um, I mean, you know, we have a number of women that are deans, a number of women in, in leadership here. So mm -hmm. if you look to the future, you know, one of the toughest things about recruiting students is, do I see someone like me there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Georgia Tech as a public should be representative and should have plenty of examples in the academy um, to, to hold that up, right? So Charles Isbell, College of Computing, mm -hmm. uh, Raheem Bia in, you know, engineering, those are APS grads. And I think what's really cool is, you know, we talk a lot about changing the world at Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. but I really do think that starts right here. I would argue there's never been a better time to be part of Georgia Tech than now. That's good to know. And for those that don't know, APS is uh, the Atlantic Public School System. Yep. Okay, on the flip side of that, though, what, if anything, or wh wh where have our mistakes been mm -hmm. in the last few years? Because there's no way, if, we, if we're batting a 1,000, then yeah, we sure. should be topping Cal Berkeley on the U.S. Data today's standings, and we're not. Right, so, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, what, yep. what, what have either you or just anyone, any, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't care, any, anything that's gone wrong, it's yeah. going to affect us all, so we may as well know. Yeah. So we got the whistle here in the background. Of course. That's, just shows you we're doing this on campus. Um, you know, my if I think a little bit about either what could we have done better or what concerns me looking forward, um, it is our the level of aid that we meet from a need-based aid standpoint. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, we have to raise more money. Yeah. We have to raise more money. We have to meet a higher percentage of the need that our students have. That number is going up dramatically. And if you're going to increase your enrollment yeah. to the extent we are, that need is just going to be exponentially higher. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what we need is we, we, this money has to come from alumni. It has to come from donors. And, you know, if you look at just Georgia, um, the average household income in Georgia versus the average household income of a first year Georgia student at Georgia Tech, okay. there's a $60,000 difference. That is a lot. That's not okay. No, not at all. You know, and it, essentially what we need to be is more socioeconomically representative of our state mm -hmm. and our, of our country. Yeah. And that demands raising money. So I feel like in admission, you know, we can put and have put tons of strategies and initiatives in place. We can look at how we review applicants, how we search for applicants, mm -hmm. how we message students, build programs. But fundamentally now, to your point of Berkeley, you know, they are our biggest overlap school. If you look at who says no to us at the highest rate, Berkeley gets more of our admitted students than any other school in the country, including the one in Athens. That's a good sign and a bad sign at the same time, it yeah. seems. Yeah. I mean, Vanderbilt, Duke, Stanford, MIT, Cornell, these are all in the top 10. You throw in five Ivies now in the top 20. What do they all have in common? They meet full, full need or at least about 80%. Whereas we're meeting on average about 55%. That's, mm. that's my big fear is that we don't change that uh, factor. And if we don't, we're going to get more of the same. And that's socioeconomic homogeneity. Yeah, that makes sense. That would uh, 
Yeah, especially now that we have like the I mean, that that first gen pathway and whatnot. I mean, eventually, if we keep expanding, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if that pipeline wouldn't be as full of if we as we want it to be, just because we can't fund. Yeah, getting those people in the door and keeping them here at the same time. Definitely. And I mean, you know, again, you know, back to the UNC example, I mean, something that we modeled the tech promise after the Carolina Covenant. And this year we have more tech promise students in the first year class than we've ever had before. We have more tech promise students as undergrads at tech than we've ever had before. And that is awesome. Yeah. The average household income of a tech promise student is $21,000 a year. So you talk about changing a family tree. Yeah. They're doing it. But what we run the risk of being and we don't ever want to be is bimodal from a socioeconomic standpoint. Mm. Kids that are, you know, going on fall break to Puerto Rico and Colorado right. and kids that have to stay in the dorm because they have no ability. We have to have that range, yeah. you know, and like Carolina's got something called the Blue Sky Scholars. Texas has something that's geared towards middle income students. Mm -hmm. And my thought is that, you know, in the next few years with this next capital campaign that's going to launch, that middle income student, that know is going to be a key part of what's going to give us success in the future yeah that's good if you look especially if you look at frat row like you can tell just the number of those people are are coming from a lot of the same places which i mean that's generate almost generational at this point because those have been those are so old now but going other places on campus and it's just it looks it can look radically different just because of who's where right um yeah and I mean, you got we have an undergrad population now of you know seventeen thousand. right that that and, you know, you want diversity. Yeah. You want diversity of all kinds. We want academic diversity. We don't want everybody to major in computer science or engineering. Yeah. You want geographic diversity, gender diversity, ethnic diversity. We have to have socioeconomic diversity. And that, to me, is the big concern for the future. That makes sense. And that kind of goes back into, like, the whole your scores and whatnot because that affects education, accessibility, and yeah. what you even got available to you. And if you can take so many APs. I mean, I was pretty fortunate that I had – a basically a full IB curriculum I had to pick from. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't want to do that, I could have done the APs. In fact, I talked to somebody yesterday <laughs> who literally said, and I kind of appreciated the candor and honesty, like, uh, you know, I don't want equal treatment. I want preferential treatment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, speed round and then we'll be done. Um, favorite spot on campus? Uh, rooftop of Clough. That's pretty good. Have you been on the rooftop of Crosland? No, I haven't. Okay, well, it's locked. I got up there right after it opened and nice. that access way is very much a locked door now wow uh, best tech tradition and i will say and that's not the rec because that just is yeah yeah i mean i gotta go mini 500 man i just this is the best i will be competing in that oh and really it is i i got my team got fourth last year oh wow which helped because it was on the sack fields and yeah. not okay the usual track. <laughs> right, right, so it right. was far easier to I mean, we've got so many. Like, I don't think it's hard if you're a current Georgia Tech student to really appreciate this. But I think as you graduate and talk to other people from different colleges and, you know, certainly myself, like kind of knowing a lot about a lot of different schools, like we have so many good ones. It's amazing. Yeah. Sideways is another really cool one. I've never done a sideways thing. Yeah. But I'm excited to see uh, Midnight Bud come back. Yeah. Hopefully this year, which if you haven't brought your kids to that, I need to it's do nuts, it. but it, it's for those that don't know, especially if you're a freshman, you'll be advertised as a uh, a nice stroll right by Britain uh, when the time comes. But effectively, we're just going to play the fight songs and run like crazy across campus and traffic will be stopped for us. Okay, lastly, and we, I mean, we kind of talked about this, but what has COVID taught tech the most? Like mm. what, what mm. if there's one thing that we're yeah. going to carry for that's going to fundamentally make tech better? 
I think it is, you know, the diverse modalities of instruction. So we were already there clearly. I mean, we're a leader on the grad side with our masters in computer science mm -hmm. online, right? But I think at the bachelor's level, when we think again about access to Georgia Tech degrees, um, looking at ways that we can a help our current students continue to earn credits mm -hmm. whether that be through residential or online but then also as we think about expanding access i don't think it's crazy to consider the future of a possible bachelor's of science in computer science that's fully online right yeah um or some types of hybrid i mean university of florida one of your first three semesters is definitely going to be online that allows them then to figure out as you were asking earlier about the housing piece yeah, right that makes sense i think we do that as well or better than most schools around the country um and that's going to be something we've learned and invested in and maybe kind of i guess brought anybody who was a detractor along on how that can be effective nice that's good to know i wasn't the biggest fan of online granted i met sheller and that sure adapts kind of pretty nicely because it's not software and has intensive or anything like that so yeah it was it was nice back then it's plus i have a homeschool background so waking up and going downstairs to work was not anything old for me <laughs> um that's all i had Great. thank you um this was fun if you are on campus and do not know what the technique is we are the weekly uh newspaper that you can find on newsstands all over the place um there is one in the building i'm in which is the bill moore student success center there's there's a stand at clough uh, CRC, most of the main school, most of the main school buildings here have it. Um, and it's outside, uh, the whistle bistro, which is across from where I am now. Thank you. Absolutely. Jack. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll be on next week with our sports editor, Will Fuss. Thanks y'all.